we're just continuing for the next few minutes to, um, to study and reflect on the way in which Jesus' birth fulfills promises uh, from the Old Testament, but today we'll be looking at uh, a promise uh, that is in the New Testament, that's like a consequence of the fact that Jesus came into the world as a baby and revealed God's heart to us. So we're going to read a passage, just a couple of verses that you'll find towards the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he says these words. Perhaps I could have the slide up. So it's the second slide. There it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we've got a command and a promise. The command is not to be anxious, but instead to pray. And the promise of the consequence of doing that is that you will know a peace that passes or transcends understanding, which will protect you and protect the heart of who you are and protect your thinking. Now, who here has never had an anxious thought. Just looking around, I did meet somebody once who claimed that they had never had an anxious thought in their whole life. But, now there's just a tiny outside chance they'll be listening, but I'm going to risk it. They were quite odd, right? I mean, it's odd, isn't it? This world is fear-inducing. It's a dangerous world. And our minds are quite good at conjuring up horror scenarios, right? And, um, and so anxiety is a very natural human reaction to living in this world. So what I'd like to do is just spend a few moments in a bit of an anxiety fest. Let's find out what sort of things people worry about. Anyone brave enough to share something that they might be tempted to worry about? Put your hand up. I'll bring you the microphone. You can share it with everybody. Or Michael will go round with the microphone. Yeah, okay, we've got one here. You see? Oh, okay, one here as well. Uh, movies will one day take over the world. Okay, well... Uh, all right, we'll leave that sitting as it is. Okay, one, one here. What other things do people worry about? Come on, I reckon everyone said they did worry at some point. Heights. Sorry? Heights. Height? Yeah, height. Explain? Like a fear of heights. Anxiety oh, fear of heights. I understand. Heights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that might make, me, it might make someone a bit anxious. Anything else? The future. Future. The future. Absolutely. Anything else that people are worried about? Quite interested to hear if there's any of the children have got anything they're worried about. The dark. The dark. That can make us frightened. Yes, absolutely. Anything else makes us anxious? I have 4,000 words as it's a turn in, and I'm really anxious about that. Thank you. Any more? This is very interesting. So everybody's familiar with worry and no one's or very few people are prepared to share what they're worried about. Okay, I've got one over here. Animals with more than eight legs. <laughs> Animals with more than eight legs. Scared of being in the bedroom by myself. Oh yes, yeah, sometimes being on our own is really scary, isn't it? 
scared but when a spider is near me. Spiders. Yeah, hang on. I've just got one more over here, Michael. Or two. Did you want to say something? No, you don't. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Health. Health. You know, people get very worried about their health, don't they? I, uh, I, I'm prone to worrying quite a lot. And one of the things I've worried about a lot in the past is my health. And, um, uh, you know, you can feel like you've had every disease over the sun if you're prone to worrying about your health. You can live through every disease. Anything else that anyone wants to share they're worried about? One here. I basically uh, worry about everything. Hmm. I worry about the children that I look after. I worry about my children, my health. I worry about finance. Hmm. Just, just basically everything. So, Thank you for your honesty, because yeah. it's true. There's a lot of us who are like this. You're the one who's been prepared to say it. Anybody else? Yeah, we've got one here. Losing loved ones. Losing loved ones. I know these are... Now we're getting to some serious fears, right? A lot of us. I can remember when I was a kid, I was terrified of losing my parents. Anything else? I was... I... I I'm anxious because my leg hurts when, and I'm scared that it will hurt forever. Oh. <laughs> Bless you. Okay. Well, perhaps that's a good enough cross-section. Now, anxiety is not a very nice thing. And when it really gets a grip, it's a really horrible thing. And I typed into Google, anxious child. Uh, and this was one of the images that came up. And we don't like to think particularly of our children being anxious, do we? We want to reassure them. And God is, if you've turned to God, he is your father. And he doesn't want you to be anxious. I've, uh, I've had my real struggles with anxiety down the years. I think it runs in our family. And um, at one time I remember speaking to a counsellor about it. And they made a practical suggestion for me. Because I think I'm a bit like you. If I let myself, I just worry about everything, okay? And, and feel personally responsible for the whole world and everything in it. And um, obviously, that's a crushing weight to try and bear. And the counsellor suggests to me, if you're worried, he said, write down what you're worried about and schedule an hour in your diary, regular hour in your diary every week when you say that will be anxiety hour. And you will delegate all your anxiety to that hour. You won't, you know, you won't worry. Because people who do worry... I kind of get more anxious if they don't feel they're anxious enough about things. So you just put in that hour and delegate all your worry to that hour. And the curious thing, of course, is when that hour comes, you can't work up the anxiety anymore. But this is a technique which I think is quite typical that counsellors recommend, and there's some merit in it for sure. But we as Christians have something even better. And that is this, we can turn, and this is what this, this verse that we're looking at today is encouraging us towards, to turn our anxieties to prayer. Do not be anxious, instead pray and learn to trust God. This is my little prayer book, and in there I write down, and you're not allowed to look in it until I'm dead, uh, in there, I write down everything I'm worried about, all the people I'm worried about, the situations I feel responsible for, and routinely, I go through it in prayer 
as a way of purposefully putting them into God's hands. And I remind myself each time I pray, the world has not come to an end. And actually, these things are God's responsibilities, not mine. And it's a process. We don't learn to do this overnight. It's not a one-off thing that you can do. It's a daily choice to put our anxieties into God's hands. Now, I think there are three reasons that I just want to very quickly bring out to you this morning as to why you should do this, why God is trustworthy. And the first thing I wanted to tell you is God is enormously powerful. Can I have the next slide, please? God's power and his wisdom are way, way, way beyond what you can understand and I can understand. He had his eye on you, not just before you were born, but the Bible teaches from the foundation of the world, he looked upon you in love. All your days are written in his book. He already knows everything that's going to happen to you. And there's all sorts of mysteries about how this works out and how it is that he knows all that and yet we still have the freedom to choose things. But nothing you do is going to take him by surprise. And he has all the power at his disposal to do anything that he wants to. You are coming to a God who is not just bigger than your problems. He is bigger than your problems by a factor of a gazillion. And just to sort of uh, illustrate this, let me tell you a bit about the universe. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you're inclined to look up in the sky at, at the stars. Um, it's a good thing for all of us to do, I think. Now, if you were, lived outside of London, if you went right out to the sticks where there was no light pollution, you would be able to see about 6,000 stars. That's how many stars are visible to the naked eye. We can't see anything like that because all of the uh, artificial light in London means we would only see a handful of those 6,000. But I wonder if you know how many stars there are. I was reading this big book a long time ago called Does God Believe in Atheists? It's, um, it's a book with lots of reasons why Christianity is true. And it was written by a guy called John Blanchard, who, um, who up until he died in 2021 was living just down the road in Banstead, I believe. But the only thing I remember, having read this book, many years ago, was one particular passage, which I'm going to read to you. It was about how many stars there are. I wonder what you'd say, how many stars there are. Okay, well, as I said earlier, 6,000 stars are visible from Earth with the naked eye, but one writer has suggested if the known stars were to be divided up among the world's present population, so this is the stars we know about, each person in the world would receive two trillion stars. Another has said, this is my favorite, uh, this is my favorite description or picture of it, another has said that if each star that we know about were represented as a P, and those peas were then spread over the whole of Great Britain. Now just think how big Great Britain is. You would bury Great Britain to the depth of a quarter of a mile. 
That's how many stars there are. Those of you who are working through Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas, may be familiar with what he says about this. He quotes a woman who said this, If the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, was no more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. The diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of paper over 300 miles high. And keep in mind, there are more galaxies in the universe than we can number. There are more, it seems, than dust specks in the air or grains of sand on the seashore. Jesus Christ holds all this together by his powerful word. This is who you come to in prayer. Your problems are completely insignificant in, term, completely insignificant in terms of God's power and his wisdom. But secondly, just in case that presents a God who is kind of remote and might be really, really big, but you think wouldn't be concerned about my problems, we also learn from the Bible that God is personal. Do have the next slide, please? What do children do when they're anxious? Very naturally, they run to their parents. And the big revelation of the New Testament is that God, what does Jesus reveal about God most clearly? What does the Spirit do in our lives most importantly? He reveals God as Father. The Spirit of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ, the most important thing that they reveal and they unveil, is that this God who holds this astounding universe together by his powerful word loves you as your father. Not just your father in some remote sense, and some of us have had very remote fathers, but as your Abba father, the one who loves you. It is not his will for you to go through this life fretful and anxious. It is his will for you that you learn to trust him in prayer. He wants you to relate to him like this. Next slide, please. He wants to minister to you in the midst of your anxieties like this. If you will come to him, he wants to soothe that storm that's going on inside of you and tell it to be still and calm you and teach you to trust him. Next slide, please. George Muller, who couldn't look more Victorian there if he, chose to, if he tried to, uh, said these words. Now, if you don't know who George Muller is, he'd be worth a Google. Um, he's a, a real hero of faith. He said this. The precious Lord Jesus Christ is our friend. Oh, let us seek to realize this. It's not merely a religious phrase or a statement. He truly is our friend. He is the brother born for adversity, the one who sticks closer than a brother who will never leave and never forsake us. 
That's who Jesus is. He is powerful, but he is also personal. And then finally, he is gracious. See, I believe that, um, that God is very powerful. I'm sure you do too. I believe that God loves me. But very often when I think about praying, another thing starts to happen, and that is I feel unworthy of God. I feel, who am I to come before God? And I just become so aware of all my shortcomings. And the things that I've done that I know will be a disappointment to God. Can I have the next slide, please? But God is gracious. And Jesus went through with the cross. The whole point of it was so that sinners like me could be forgiven. And if we come before God humbly, he is willing to hear our prayers. He'll forgive us of what has gone wrong. We, we repent of our sin and, and come before God and honestly confess our shortcomings. Then what is God's response to that? Can I have the next slide, please. I think Jesus reveals that God's response to humble sinners who will repent is this. You don't have to work up. You, know, you don't have to spend half an hour with God to try and sort of t change his mind about how he feels about you. If you are humble before him, this is the face of God that Jesus reveals. I don't mean literally that face, but that expression. He loves you. However, just one word of warning. In my time as a pastor, I've met a lot of people who need to be encouraged to pr learn to pray for all sorts of reasons. I hope I've given you some encouragement this morning. But I've met a minority who seem to think they're some kind of expert in prayer. And there is a danger, particularly for those of us who are really committed to prayer and really keen on it, the devil will try and do a different work. We can fall off the horse the other side. He'll start to whisper to us that we're a bit superior to other Christians. That we're the prayer experts. We think we've learned and mastered techniques. We've listened to sermons from the great people on prayer. And suddenly we feel we're a slightly superior breed of Christian. Brothers and sisters, that is more offensive to God than the person who never prays. God is gracious, and that is an encouragement to those of us who sometimes are plagued by our shortcomings. But it's a rebuke to those who begin to believe they no longer need to relate to God on the basis of grace. The cross is a great leveler. Well, my belief is that if we persist in prayer, you don't have to have a prayer book like mine, but however it works for you, if we persist in prayer, we persist in this discipline, then maybe rather than looking like the anxious child, we might look a bit more like this. I, I think that came up when I typed in contented child. And she looks, she's in the right spot, isn't she, with life, I think. And that's God's will for you. In the midst of this difficult world, it's God's will for you and for me to not be anxious about anything, but to trust God, turn our anxieties into prayers. And then we enjoy, don't we, the promise of God that he will give us peace. 
Jesus came into the world to give us peace, and we're promised in Philippians, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That promise is available to those who will learn the discipline of prayer and through doing so, really discover the smiling and trustworthy face of God. Another verse, you will keep in perfect peace the steadfast of mind because he trusts in you. May this be true for me. May this be true for you. Learn to trust God. Turn your anxieties into prayer.